Good evening. Welcome any visitors that might be here. Um, tonight, our message is entitled, The Lordship of Jesus Christ, as we continue in our series on the nature of the church. Um, the church of Jesus Christ is the um, community of God's redeemed, which is characterized by spiritual birth, spiritual growth, spiritual understanding, a spiritual hunger, and spiritual warfare. Those are things that mark the church. The existence of the church is to be characterized by the faithfulness of Christ um, and is to be complete. In other words, obedience. Obedience to his word, not sacrifice. First Samuel fifteen twenty two. God told uh, Samuel told Saul, it's better to obey than to sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Jesus, as you know, said that we cannot serve two masters. We will hate the one and love the other. He didn't say we couldn't have it or would not have them. It's just that we couldn't serve them the same. You remember growing up thinking you can have two girlfriends, two boyfriends, like them the same? No, the other one wouldn't like it. And your heart's always divided. You're going to like one more than the other. Lordship has to do with the idea of power and authority that's submitted to by our own will, because we realize that he is our Lord. He's the one that calls the shots. And really, that's what we do when we ask him to come into our lives. We put him on the throne of our lives so that he can direct and guide us through his word and his Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, uh, the word Lord, as you know, kurios, is used for an owner of a vineyard, a master, a steward, a ruler, a king, a father. And it's a title of courtesy sometimes to strangers. Those of you of the Mexican background or Latin background, you know that as you're growing up, the son oftentimes says to his father, Señor, mande, sir, command. It's a form of respect. So the context will always determine how the word is used. Um, Christ is said to be both Lord and Christ through the scriptures, who has bought us with his precious blood. We're not our own. And uh, so he bought us out of the slave market, Acts 2.36, 1 Corinthians 6.19. And he has redeemed us by his precious blood. So the believer bows his knee and confesses him by choice now through repentance. The non-believer will, will bow and confess him by force at his return for judgment in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. There's a big difference. Now the believer is to seek first the kingdom of God his righteousness, and then all the rest of the things will be added unto us. Matthew six thirty three. All those things the Gentiles seek after, he said, as he was speaking to his disciples. Now, before we knew Christ, we went after whatever we desired and didn't stop till we obtained it. We were headstrong, self-will. And there's um, uh, nothing wrong with things in and of themselves. They're legitimate. But when they become the pursuit of life, they often destroy a person. Uh, they've done a study with people who win the lottery. Everybody's always praying they win the lottery, and those who do end up destroying themselves. They don't know how to handle that much money. Uh, people are the most important thing. Then things take the right value. Jesus said, for where your treasure is there, where your heart be also, in Matthew six twenty one, uh, We have wrong priorities, wrong values. David's treasure was the Lord, so he sought the ark of the Lord, and he brought it into Jerusalem in Second Samuel 6. He just delighted to be in fellowship with God, that he would uh, seek him and follow him. Um, either Jesus is Lord of all or not at all, uh, one or the other. So let's look at four areas that characterize lordship of the believer's life. 
and the church. First, we're going to look at the commitment of the believer. Second, the community of the believer. Third, the stewardship of the believer. And fourthly, the accountability of the believer. Now, each of these could be a study in themselves, and you can keep on adding to the list, but these will give us a good perspective of the nature of the church. We'll begin with the Lordship of Christ. It's evident by the commitment of the believer. The commitment to the call of Jesus to follow him, him alone. The Lordship begins at salvation and must continue on. The lost sight of myself, the take of my cross, to follow him, as Mark 8, 34 says, the words of Jesus. I am to understand that the most basic problem in my life is that I have myself in view. I'm on the throne. I'm the one calling the shots. I am to lose sight of myself so that I don't lose sight of Christ as a Christian. So I always keep perspective. I follow him. I hear his voice. I hear his word. I'm to study his word. Jesus says, come and follow me. As he told Levi, the tax collector in Mark 2.14. He was a publican. He was very wealthy. He left all to follow Jesus Christ. But also to keep his word or commandments. It's basic. John 14, 23. He proclaimed all that he wants me to do and I obey it. It's like a parent to a son or a daughter. He initiates, I respond. Jesus initiated by his Holy Spirit and I responded. A co-participation because he chose you and myself. John 15, 16 as we responded to the gospel, but also to be his disciple and to yield to his love. As we saw this morning, John 13, 35, this is, uh, as we have seen, to be the distinctive mark of the church and the believer. The love for family members is always a great mark of commitment because you know all their faults. Your wife, your husband, they know you better than anybody else and they still love you. And they know all your failures, all your faults. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me in John 14, 6. But also to follow Christ regardless of family or relationships. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 37, Jesus um, spoke about how he came to set... Uh, um, uh, daughter against uh, mother and son against father and vice versa. And if you look at some of the teachings of Jesus, you would have the tendency to think and to believe that he was anti-family. But that really wasn't the case. Uh, if you understand his teaching, you know that unless you love him first, you cannot really love the other members of the family or anybody else properly. It is he first. As we love him, now we can love people in the way that we should. Because when Jesus came, he divided families. One of the accusations against the early church was they were homewreckers. One of the things that, that, that happens in countries is that when the gospel comes in, it divides families. So they use that as being something that's illegal. And of course, laws are put against the preaching of the gospel. Jesus said, he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so we realize that once we come to Christ, now I have the proper love and perspective towards my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, if they're in Christ. If they're not in Christ, I have greater love for them. Because now I know that they're lost. I know they're blind. 
so I don't put myself above them, exalting myself, but I pray for them. I try to be an example for them because I want them to be saved. Even though they may be hostile towards me. This happens sometimes. When the Jew became born again, their family members considered them as dead. They tore their clothes. They're done. The present... To present my body also as a living sacrifice in every area of my life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Not being fashioned to this world system, being transformed by the renewing of my mind. To prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. My body is a temple of God and so is yours. Your body and mine is the channel through which God reveals his life to others. As we talk, as we interact with people, how we live, uh, how we think, uh, all of these things. People look at us. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The will of God, ladies and gentlemen, you heard me say many, many times, is found in the Word of God. It's not in, Lord, show me. Read the Word. It's right there clear. But also commitment to the body of Christ, the church. The believer is not to forsake the gathering of the saints as the manner of some is, as Hebrews 10.25 tells us. Those who do not join themselves to the church in a committed uh, way really are not committed to Christ. They're committed to their own convenience. One of the great um, aspects of, of a believer is he gathers together. It's a great example for your children, your family. It's a great example for your family who don't know Christ your friends, that you would take the time, or anything else. It's a great example. Um, to say I'm committed to Christ and, and to follow him and not be committed to the body of believers is inconsistent. Uh, it's certainly not approved by God, nor is, but it's trying to please men. First Thessalonians 2.4 makes that distinction. Um, the culture does not excuse us, but um, accuses us for the nature of the church Never changes. So the word of God, the will of God, the church of God transcends culture. Okay? Culture is subject to it. It's sifted out by the standard of the word of God. The New Testament church saw uh, the two become one. Um, When someone was excommunicated from the church... That meant that they were not committed to follow Christ in their lifestyle. We have this example in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, uh, where that young man was sleeping with a stepmother, and the church was tolerating it and even not even judging it. And Paul makes that judgment, and he says, turn him out, I put him out of the church, and then he goes as far as to say, turn him over to Satan. And so it's inconsistent. Um, And we have to be careful. Each of us are um, responsible to know where God wants us to fellowship. Mm -hmm. And so you need to pray. You need to ask the Lord to direct and guide you. And as you go to churches and you listen what's being taught, are they having a Bible open for you? you, Are you getting scripture? Or is it just um, topical studies and funny stories? Now, right now we're doing a series, so it's different than we usually do, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Because of the need that's going on with so much false teaching against the nature of the church with the emergent church that you need to understand what the Bible says about the nature of the church. So we will do series like this once in a while, two 
uh, help you understand what's going on with the false teaching. Now, the believer is to be active in the church. Each of us have been imparted at least one gift, and it's to be used to build up the saints. In 1 Peter 4.10, you have at least one gift. Now, you probably have more than one gift, but at least one gift. And I tell you what your gift is not. It's not what you're sitting on, okay? Um, And so you should be involved somewhere in the church. Each receives gifts according to the measure of the grace of God, severally as he wills. He distributes, Romans 12, 3 through 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. He deals there in, uh, in um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, the gifts, the problematic gifts, the correction, and so on and so forth. So Christ is the head of the church, and the church is his body. He's the Lord. He's the head. He's the one that gives the commands. But also, commitment to people. Uh, to love one another. Uh, Jesus made this very clear in John fifteen twelve. Love that is sourced in God has a tremendous potential, as we talked about this morning in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It never fails. Whenever we yield to God's agape love in our fellowship, commitment to people, then we don't fail. When we trust our own abilities, our own love, we will fail every time. Jesus loved his disciples to the uttermost, to the very end, John 13, 1 tells us. To the very end, to the very death of the cross. Love is manifested in many different ways, as you know. Um, to convict and convince people about their sin, to rebuke, to exhort, to reprove with all long suffering and teaching, 2 Timothy 4, 2 says. And so, this is for every believer. The context is for leadership, but for every believer. To do this over and over again in the life of the church. Paul rebuked Peter, as you know, at Antioch for um, being a respecter person and stumbling Barnabas in Galatians 2, 11 through 13 up in Antioch. Um, Peter was eating with the Jews and uh, or with the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, some of the Jews came up from Jerusalem. He tipped it over the kosher table. And Paul got in his face. Pope, not the Pope, but Peter. <laughs> all right. And after that, you know, they were okay with each other. But how, how do you respond when people confront you? Do you say, well, who do you think you are? Well, I'm your brother. We're both in the same family. What are you doing there? What are you doing going there? What are you doing hanging out with that guy? What are you doing talking to that woman alone when you're married? Are we not brothers? Are we not sisters? Are we not in the family of God? Faithfulness of the Wounds of a friend, faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kiss of the enemy are deceitful, as I give you out from Proverbs 27, 6. The person was always complimenting you. He's not your friend, he's your enemy. He could care less what you do. But also to pray for one another. James five sixteen tells us that. What a privilege we have uh, as we can pray for one another. We don't ask other people to pray for us because we don't think we're worthy to go before the Lord. We do it because we, we are told in the scriptures that we can pray and should pray for one another. And we have access to the throne of grace in Hebrews 4.16. And so we can come before the throne of grace. What power we can witness through prayer as people ask us, hey, can you pray for me? I'm sick. And you lay hands on me. You, you anoint them with oil. And God heals them. Now, these hands don't do it. God does it sovereignly. Sometimes they don't. So they go to the doctor and get a shot. Okay? But it doesn't defeat my faith or anything else or to pray for the various needs that are going on. Um, 
you know, family things, you know, your marriage or your children and, and the things that go on and you've lost a job or whatever it may be. And we pray for one another fervently. I'll be praying for you every morning when I read my Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you in mind all this week and, and what a comfort it is, what a strength it is in the body of Christ. But also to forgive one another, as we said this morning in Ephesians 4.32. This is the greatest evidence of being like Christ. We are to forgive in the same proportion according as Christ has forgiven us in Colossians 3.13. So when people ask, my forgiveness, I'm to impart it. I don't have an, uh, an option in this. I don't, it's, not, it's not my choosing. I have to go to the Lord for Him to help me forgive but also to search out sinners for salvation. Praying, that we'd be praying for our family members, our friends and people we work with and, and people that come across our life who don't know Christ, who, who their lives are messed up, their marriages, their children are going through difficulties or whatever it may be, that we can pray for them and then we can see God work in, in a way that, you know, even though we've never talked to them, but we've been praying, praying, praying. And then you see them one day and they say, you know what, I got saved. You go, wow. What a miracle. Paul told the Philippians that he would be delivered knowing that they were praying for him from the prison. Wow. Listen to a communist leader. We will not accept into membership anyone with any reservations whatsoever, declared Lenin, the founder of Russia's communism. We will not accept into our membership anyone unless he is an active, disciplined, working member in one of our organizations. Should the church do any different? <laughs> Amazing. A person's uncompromising commitment to Jesus will be costly to follow Jesus. Even if it means losing your husband, your wife, your children, your entire family. This happens. Certainly happens in other portions of the world. It happened in the early church and it still happens today. To follow Jesus even if it means losing or having to change your job. You know, some people get saved. Maybe you're a bartender. Or maybe you're a stripper. A prostitute. You're a drug seller. You push your drugs. And you get saved. Well, you certainly can't go back to that stuff. <laughs> it's clearly understood, right? You're a new person. You can't do that anymore. And yet, as you turn to Christ, you follow Him... Then you are judged by the people you used to hang out in your black ball, right? But it's okay. Also to follow Jesus, even if it means losing all your material possessions, like the first century church or Mao's cultural revolution of the 60s in China and the 70s with re-educational camps. They lost everything. Incredible sufferings. Today in America, we have the political correctness to have people conform or be legally liable. And yet, it has been a dramatic, a dramatic change to our country in the last 10 years. And yet, we hopefully are getting to some reprieve, maybe now, a little bit. But the world is still going towards Armageddon. The world is still going forward, the coming of Jesus Christ. The Antichrist is still coming, ladies and gentlemen. The world mindset of one world bank, one world monetary system, one world food reserve. It's all their philosophy. It's headed that way. 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The words of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. A person's commitment to the body of Christ, the church, will be vital for spiritual development to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To be used of Jesus, a member of the body of the church, to see God provide for all the needs of the church as he leads and guides her. As you're here every week, you see new people. You see what God does in people's lives. You see how God brings people. You see what God does in their lives. You see how God leads and opens doors for missions, for different things. You are encouraged by God himself as he's using other people. To see God work in the diversity of the body, making them one in Christ. We're so different. Let me tell you, if we weren't born again, we wouldn't be sitting in the same room, some of us. Miracle of God puts us together. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. I accepted Christ in 1973, in July of 73. The word of God messed my life up for good. <laughs> Never the same. Absolutely not. A person's commitment to people will be the most rewarding to witness the power and the grace of God to transform them. Be it to a moral person or an immoral person. It doesn't make any difference. We're new creatures and we are amazed at the changes that God can make knowing that no one can make them except the power of God's word and His Holy Spirit. To witness the hardness of people's hearts and then the grace and the love of God to just humble them and to break them. And to just change them in such a complete different way. As we looked at him before, we say, that guy can never be saved. And all of a sudden, here he sits in the front row, clothed and sane. Amazing. To see the mercy of God, to restore the repentant sinner, the backslider. And to give them back the, can- the years the canker worm has eaten. They've cast so much of their life away and then God just blesses them, directs and guides them and they're just an asset to the kingdom, to the church. Second Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We don't try to play games and hide anymore. We live our life open before God. And so, commitment to the Lordship of Christ is to be evident by the believer's life. Secondly, is the Lordship of Christ is to be evident by the community of the believers. The community of believers is best expressed by the word fellowship. The word fellowship, koinonia, means communion. Oneness, partnership, a sharing in common is a very rich word. The context will determine how it's used in the New Testament. It's found 20 times in this form in the New Testament. And the other church was known for its fellowship uh, for the book of Acts. Tells us that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That was primary, okay? From there, everything will be judged. The apostles' doctrine, the word of God. Second, fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And so that 
Koinonia is so important in those four aspects. Fellowship goes beyond commitment to one's own personal benefit. You're there for the benefit of others. Important. The priority for community is fellowship with the Lord. That's the main one, the vertical once again. And the horizontal is extension benefit to others. We are called into the fellowship with God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 9. He is the priority, not people. They come secondary. He is the extension to people that makes everything effective. We are to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, in order to be made conformable to his death, as Paul says in Philippians 3.10. That's an individual relationship committed to him. Remember how much you emulated your friends at work or in school. Some of you girls, you ladies, you had a girlfriend and you guys had the same hair. You walked the same, you talked the same. You wanted to emulate them so much. Oh, if you would emulate Christ just like that. You know what I mean? We get so enamored with man or with a woman or something like that. And, and we lose ourselves in wishing there was two of them and none of us. We're told that our joy is to be full by knowing we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and with each other in 1 John 1, 3 through 4. You get excited that you have fellowship with God? How about with each other? I mean, stop and think of the conscience of the fellowship you had in the world, not what you have in Christ Jesus. What a difference. Too often we confuse our joy with happiness, what we have, how we feel, and who we know. That's the worldly happiness. That comes and goes. The joy is, comes from within. It's the first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, as we said this morning. Oh, that we would understand that our joy is solely based upon our privilege to be in fellowship with God. And because of that, then the other fellowships are meaningful and valuable because we share in the same ground the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The outcome of community with the Lord is fellowship with the believer. You go across the world and you never met this person, but they're a Christian. And you start talking. And it's like you have everything in common. Everything else doesn't matter. You have the same Lord. The fellowship is based on the fellowship of the Spirit in Philippians 2.1. It transcends beyond our types of personalities, but... It connects because we are in the family of God. This goes beyond mere spending time and just mere entertainment. What makes the time and whatever we do fun is our commonness in Christ Jesus. The fellowship is based on the holiness of God. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7 makes that very clear. I want the people to, to, to stretch me. And I want to stretch people. The world, you know, has adult material, children material. In Christ, there is no adult material. In Christ works all children of God. And so we know the things that take us away from God and the things that draw us close to God. So we make these choices now because we're in this family. It's based on the love of God also, as we said this morning. The interest is for others. The interest for others will bring the greatest return to your life and mine. The problem with fellowship is that some people are merely looking for their needs to be met 
or desire to resolve their loneliness in the fellowship of the church without any regard for others to the glory of God. One put it this way, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. By the way, he was executed by Hitler. Many people, he says, seek fellowship because they are afraid to be alone, because they cannot stand loneliness. They are driven to seek the company of other people. There are Christians, too, who cannot endure being alone, who have had so many bad experiences with themselves, who hope they will gain some help in association with others. They are generally disappointed. Then they blame the fellowship for what is really their own fault. The Christian community is not a spiritual sanatorium. The person who comes into the fellowship because he is running away from himself is misusing it for the sake of diversion. No matter how spiritual this diversion may appear, he is really not seeking community at all, but only distractions which will allow him to forget his loneliness for a brief time, the very alienation that creates the deadly isolation of man. Wow. How excellent that is stated. Again, it's being self-centered, thinking of me before others. Fellowship at times in church or in churches is anything but spiritual community. If it is based on the popularity of the pastor or the size of the church and people get lost in the um, multitudes, that's not fellowship. It's more like um, my moving cattle rather than herding sheep. Uh, herding the cattle instead of the grazing the flock of sheep. If it is based on the activities offered, sometimes people just come to church because of what goes on. You know, there's basketball, there's baseball, there's bingo, there's this, and it's like just activities, you know? No different than the world. If it is based on the single dating scene or being able to meet other people and... Uh, and different things. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but that should not be the reason why we go to church. Now, I trust we don't have a lot of those things, though some things are around. We trust that as you come and God is dealing with your heart, that God will allow you to meet Christians who you will grow with, who you will affiliate with, who you will spend time with. You can't know everybody in the church, but you can meet know a good handful of people, and relationships will develop through the years. Your children, everything. But that's what the God does in you. We're not here to be matchmakers or, or, or to organize your life for you. We've got enough problem with our own life. We're just like you. Paul put it this way in Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the work of darkness and let not put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So our community uh, fellowship should be in the holiness of God for the edification of the body of Christ, that which is going to bring glory to him. Fellowship with others and activities are not wrong again in and of themselves, provided they are an outgrowth of one's fellowship with the Lord Jesus evident of true spiritual community. Therefore, a person is to attend church because they believe Jesus has led them there and they desire to be part of the church. And whatever a person gets involved in, it is an outgrowth of the relationship to Jesus and they are there to honor and to glorify the Lord. 
to hear the voice of God, not the voice of the shepherd or the pastor to tell them what to do. Therefore, their primary interest is not to benefit themselves, but how they are to benefit others in the particular involvement that God is directing them. The word will be the standard for whatever area of fellowship of their involvement. Again, God directs, God guides you, not we as the pastors. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, listen carefully, with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's Paul's prayer. Go down that list. Those good things that we might ask the Lord to have those things fulfilled in our life. Amazing. Fellowship with other saints is one of the great privilege of community for spiritual growth. Too many people have, are very superficial. Even as uh, Christians that are interested only in themselves, we call them carnal Christians. The Corinthian church, the Corinthian epistles are great epistles. Because carnality is our life. As we were in the world, and if we don't live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, we will walk in the flesh. Too many do not invest time in people, but are always moving around from church to church, not cultivating deep relationships. And they allow the culture to dictate it. You know, people don't stay in marriages two, three, five years, gone. You know, they go to church two, three, five years, gone. You know, they live in a neighborhood two, three years, gone. There's no stability. There's no root. There's nothing. Everything's carried over. It's like nobody wants to, you know, they, they don't want people to know them. They, they, it's, well, what are you doing? Superficiality, I think, of my own life, the many relationships I value, and how God has blessed me through your relationships. People that have been close to me, good times, bad times, adding much to my life, giving me hope. 43 years, a lot of people. I've put a lot of... Uh, invested in my life, prayed for me, encouraged me, helped me. I think my good friends, Dr. Jim Hendrickson and his wife Beverly, I've known them since they got out of medical school in 1978-79. And we've walked together and seen God do tremendous things and we've raised our children and seen now our grandchildren. That's what the kind of relationship you build in the Lord. I think of my staff, entire staff, Mario. I've known Mario since he was 14 years old. We went to the same high school. He got saved at the beach. I got saved out here. And God put us back together. Tony, Henry, Diego, Fernando, Jonathan, Sam, Luis, Veronica, and all their wives. All being servants, having enriched my life tremendously. Many of you that I've come to know, have added much to my life. You encourage me. As God has taken you through some very difficult things, and I've been in awe how God has empowered you and enabled you and encouraged you and brought you out to be more like Him. Amazing. Romans 16, 3 through 16 says, 
Paul says um, at the end of the epistle, he names over um, 20 some names. Paul was a people person. You cannot say you're a Christian and you don't like people. All right? Listen carefully. He says, Greet Priscilla and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epaphonitas, who is the first fruit of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for me or for us. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of the note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Wow. Paul always named people. He had people travel with him. He was always uh, training people and everything. So commitment to the the Lordship of Christ is to be evident by the community of the believers. But thirdly, the Lordship of Christ is evident by the stewardship of the believer. The stewardship of a person has to do with what I do and how I handle what God has allowed to be in my power and my possession. A steward owned nothing, as you know, in those days, but was responsible to increase everything for his master. Nothing was his. A steward had a master over him, which he was accountable to. Many of the parables make that very clear. A steward was to be faithful in all he did. Again, Jesus illustrated this throughout these parables. Time is the priority of a steward. They live out what they believe. They sacrifice anything to obtain material wealth and things for their master. They will accumulate to impress and be self-sufficient. Because they have to give an accountability. The Bible says time is opportunity. The world has a different priority. Time is a priority of a steward. The world says time is money. And so this is what they live for. This is what they drive for. And it's, you've seen some of those bumper stickers, right? The man who dies with the most toys wins, Right? Material wealth, they accumulate to impress people and all this, but it, 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 what happens? You have to leave them to somebody. Everything you have, you're going to have to leave to someone. The Bible, again, says time is opportunity. Time for the Lord, time for the family, church involvement, time for work, time for recreation. When God saved you, he knows exactly the day you're going to die. And when you accepted Christ, that your life now is to be involved in your family, in the church, and all the things that are included in both of those places. And time for work. And you'll have efficient time. Now, you've got to sift out what is a waste of time. What am I doing that I'm not supposed to be doing? So you live your life by priorities as a Christian. When we first came to the Lord, I used to go bike ride and do different I didn't do a lot of those things. Not that there was anything wrong with them, but the priorities were different. You understand? Everything's different. Talents have 
not been given just for my own benefit, but for sharing them. Talents can be enhanced at times by the fruit of and the gifts of the Spirit. Apart from God, talents are used only to exalt oneself. Apart from God, talents will be used to look down on others because we compare ourselves among ourselves. In Acts 6, 7, the seven men that served tables were filled with the Holy Spirit. The word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Their gifts were given to them for the benefit of the church completely in service. Talents can cause us to be self-sufficient or more dependent on God in gratitude. Paul's an example of the latter. He was a tent maker, as you know, and he used it to support himself in ministry as well as those that were with him. Acts 18, 3, 20, 34, and other passages. Uh, Paul was sold out to the Lord. The money I make belongs to God. He is the one who gave me the ability to think and to work. He's the one who allows me to remain employed or unemployed. Sometimes we lose our jobs because we're, we have bad habits or we're lazy. Too much ya-ya and talking on the, on, on the job. You know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. And other times God wants to bless us so he has to get us fired so he can give us a better job. I've seen God do that. He's the one who gives me good health. Not one of us can boast about our health. I'll say, well, yeah, I exercise, I eat, and that's good and all that. But listen, it's God's grace, okay? Eat a little better, do a little exercise, fine. But it's, you know, I mean, I've seen people who exercise like anything and eat everything. And they, all of a sudden, they drive across the street in their bike and they get run over by, by a bus or something. Or they get a heart attack or something. So there's good common sense, but God is the one that's in control of my life. Um, not one of us sh- should live for our bodies, but neither should we neglect them. A little exercise profits a little bit, especially as we get older. He desires that I glorify him in how I spend my money also. Um, to impart as he has blessed me. As he says in the first day of the week, and we spoke about it a little bit this morning, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. We do not solicit money, as you know, but we allow the believer to respond to God on Sunday. We don't pressure anybody. We don't try to convince you, tell you sad stories. We don't presume upon you or anything. That's between you and God. Um, each one of us is to do it without grudging, and there shouldn't be any pressure. We should do it hilariously in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, or not do it at all. Uh, to meet the needs of my family. He allows me to be employed, to work hard. Um, all of us on staff here, we all worked in the world. You know, Mario used to do drywall. Tony used to paint. Uh, Fernando did machineries. I've, I've, um, I've taught school. I had my own kung fu studio. I, I worked cement. Uh, I, I was a box boy from 16 to 18 at Prano Marcus. I mean, I worked all my life. Doesn't, work doesn't, doesn't affect us. doesn't make any difference to us. Um, but to meet the needs of the family, spending the money in priorities, um, the everyday needs such as housing, food, clothing, transportation, priorities, to be um, benevolent to those who have less than I do, but not being irresponsible to my own family, 
Not that we have to sell all that we have as the early church did in Acts 2, 44 through 45. That was a big mistake because it's much better for you to be a steward of what God's given to you. So this way, as you grow older, people don't have to take care of you, but you can always take care of yourself and help others. Okay. So anytime a pastor or a church tells you you should sell all that you have and give it to them, get up and walk out. There's no such thing. Okay. Um, I remember individuals being benevolent to my wife and I when we were very young and didn't have much. And um, um, I so appreciate it. And I have to remember that, be responsible towards others as God leaves me. It's not just one-sided. As a steward, how I spend my money will tell me how much about my, the lordship of Christ in my life. Um, uh, how I spend my money. Uh, we're not to live for money. The love of money is the root of all evil, First Timothy 6.10 says. And so we have to be careful because many have fallen away from the faith, adding to their own hurt, being ensnared, Paul says. Pride, money, and women. Three strikes, you're out. Um, and you've got pride and uh, you want women, you're going to have to have money. No ever but about it. One person put it this way, quote, Leftovers are such humble things. We should not serve them to a guest, and, we, and yet we serve them to our Lord, who deserves the very best. We give to him leftover time, stray menace here and there, leftover cash we give to him, such few coins as we can uh, spare. We give our youth unto the world to hatred, lust, and strife, and then in declining years we give to him the remnant of our life. Wow. <laughs> the deception is to think that I am the sole authority over what I possess and uh, that it's simply for me. Listen to the words of Jesus, Luke twelve eighteen through 21. As he told a parable about a certain rich man, he said, um, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build greater ones, and then I will store all my uh, crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid out for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God's not saying not take care of ourselves. He's just saying, but if you're not rich towards God, it's a wrong priority. There's the priority. The most precious commodity we have is time, ladies and gentlemen. Once it's gone, it's lost forever. Uh, we must take advantage of those window times. There's certain things that God will have for you. If you pass them up, you will not get them again. You just won't. Ephesians 5, 15 through 70 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. People do not use common sense and how they spend their money often. If you are trying to save for a home, you do not go out to eat once a week or buy electronic gadgets of the latest to entertain yourself. If you are having difficulty making your rent, you do not go out every week and eat out. Or get away on the weekend. If you live on a tight budget, you do not buy name brand clothes or accessories. It's basic. 
If you are working hard to provide for your family, you do not get your son or your daughter a cell phone and pay their abusive charges. Common sense. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom, James 3.13 says. Commitment to the Lordship of Christ is to be provided by the stewardship of a believer. Fourth and last, you have the Lordship of Christ. It's evident by the accountability of the believer. This is not too popular today in the individual society that we live in. Um, the accountability is to God. To walk in the light, 1 John 1, 5. To confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9 and 2, 1. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for our flesh, as I stated earlier in Romans 13, 14. To bring my thoughts into captivity that come against the knowledge of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. And warfare. To ask him to search my heart constantly. Psalm 139, verse 23. Because I don't even know my heart all the time. The reason being that I cannot know my heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 79, desperately wicked. The judgment of my own searching is necessary, but I do not rest in it as if it is conclusive. Because I'm always partial and I'm always blind. So I ask God to search my heart. Very important. But also the accountability is to my family, to my wife, my help me, those ones around me. But my wife is the primary one. And all the, the benefit that you guys get, you guys never see my wife. But my wife is a blessing. She allows me to be all that I can be here regarding my gifts and my calling for you. She, she, she has a lot of credit in what goes on here. They are the ones who are to know me better than any other person. My wife. There should never be a time when my family or my wife or my children um, don't know where I'm at or what I'm about. What are you doing? Where are you at? Who are you with? Where are you going? Not with the idea that we can't be trusted, but that we are blameless before God. My children know exactly where I'm at all the time, whether my son's here or he's in some other part of the country or across the world, whatever. He knows exactly where I'm at. He knows exactly what I'm doing. He knows exactly on Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock, I'm up in that cafeteria doing a Bible study. He knows exactly I'm here doing three, four, five services on Sunday. He knows exactly where I'm at on Friday night. They know their father. Accountability also to my children and grandchildren. They are the children I am molding and shaping and accountable to God for their future and their families as I'm being an example to them. He who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wisdom, Proverbs 18.1 says. Regarding my example of godliness towards my children, towards my grandchildren, example of submission, Example of making myself accountable as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather. All very, very important. Our children are learning to be husband, wife, and parents. Our children can confront us as parents with respect. Isaiah 3.12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. All my people, those who lead you, cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Wow. People that don't listen to God, God gives them over to judgment. But also the accountability is to the elders. 
This accountability is not to be confused with what's called the shepherding doctrine, which uh, leaders of the church make all decisions for you. And if you got saved under somebody, then they, they disciple you and you have to ask them permission for everything. That's not biblical. That's, that's an occult. The accountability of the Bible is not one of lording over God's people, the flock, but one of oversight in First Peter 5, 2 through 3. The accountability to the elders is obedience to them only in what the word states and only in the limits of the word of God. Hebrews 13, 17. Never beyond the word of God. Always only according to the word of God. As a member of the church, I make myself of my own free will accountable to be part of the church body to live according to the rules of the scriptures, the standards, and the principles of the Bible. Simple. If I'm here, then I'm saying, Jesus is my Lord. As a servant serving in the church, I make myself accountable to the Bible, prescribe the same standards that are for everybody. I am no different. We're all the same in a life of godliness. But also the accountability is to my conscience. Uh, some have a weaker conscience, and I must walk in wisdom so as not to defile them. Their conscience in 1 Corinthians 8, 7 as some are younger in the Lord, so we're to use wisdom. It's not hypocrisy. We're to know how to conduct ourselves. I am to examine myself, whether I be in the faith, to prove if, uh, um, to myself whether I'm in the faith, lest I be um, uh, rejected to an extent or disqualified. Second Corinthians 13.5 One's conscience can be seared as with a hot iron. It can be defiled, the scriptures say in 1 Timothy 4.2 and Titus 1.15. Our conscience is to be calibrated now in the Christ according to the word of God. Because our conscience is not sufficient in itself. Accountability is a matter of perspective, isn't it? You and I can see it as an attempt by others to control us. Or you and I can see it as very healthy preventative measure against our own sinful nature that still resides in us. Do you see yourself accountable? Do you see that as protection? In the old time, when the Grecians worshipped images of gold, one put it, it was said that when spiders stretched their webs across the eyelids of the image of Jupiter, the people were regular in their attendance to worship. They liked to feel that the spider webs were preventing Jupiter from seeing their sins and in their poor, feeble way were, no doubt, grateful to the insects for covering the eyes of a god who they thought would punish them for their sins if he could see their ways. Well, God is not Jupiter, nor will spider webs hinder him from seeing evil or sin in my life or yours. I will have to give an account to God for all that he entrusts me, spiritually and materially. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. Psalm ten thirteen. Ooh. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Luke six forty six. God will hold us accountable to the measure of the light that we have received. To those that much is given, much more is required. Luke twelve forty eight. Marriage accountability is based on fidelity. Men, watch your conduct with female friends, getting too familiar and spending too much time without your wife. Ladies, watch what you submit to and who you submit to, especially if you're in the workforce and under men. Your children will be married. 
and family will be one forever. And your children will be graduates of your university of marriage and family when they leave your home. Will they graduate with an A, B, C, D, or F minus? Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb like mother, like daughter. Ezekiel 16.44 You see the extent of a Christian's accountability or submission to the elders and pastors is scriptural, but according to the word. If God's word is not the standard and the limit, then man's subjective direction will be abusive all the time and dictatorial. Not the popularity of pastors or church size is to be the authority. It is based on servant leadership, not lordship. It is based on eliminating all worldly views and recalibrating our minds by the word of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of instruction and of wisdom, and before honor is humility, Proverbs 15.33 says. And so, commitment to the lordship of Christ is to be evident by the accountability of the believer. When Jesus asked the rich young ruler to sell all that he had and to give to the poor, Jesus didn't want his money. He wanted to show him what was in his heart, where his heart was. His treasure was there, his money. Unless you and I give clear evidence of the nature of the church, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we will be an impediment to the world rather than a light, not causing people to thirst after righteousness, but rather to be nauseated and confused about the nature of the church and it, they will reject the church. And so, if Jesus is Lord, these four areas are but a small sample of the Lordship of Christ over your life and mine. The commitment of the believer, the community of the believer, the stewardship of the believer, and the accountability of the believer. Lord of all, or not at all. Lord, thank you for your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for tonight and for your grace over our life. Pray for every person here and those listening over the internet, Lord, that you would deal with their hearts. If there's someone who doesn't know you, your love, your care for them, and how you want to save them, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Right where you sit, you can ask him to forgive you. Ask him to transform your life, to give you eternal life. And he will do that as you call upon his name for forgiveness. If this is your desire, right where you sit, he's going to make you born again. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.